Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. So, you know, the scripture tells us that we are to honor those who've gone before us. And in particular, the older generation is to be honored, and the younger generation is to honor the older. And that's really, really important. You know, one of the Ten Commandments is to what? Honor your father and your mother. And that principle goes beyond even just your natural parents. It goes into your spiritual parents. The scripture compares those in the house of God to a family. And we have some spiritual moms and dads in this house, several couples that have been that. But one couple in particular is Keith and Donna Easterly. And today we're going to talk a little bit about their journey and their story. I'm going to interview Keith in just a minute. But I want to show you a text that it really kind of lays out what we're going to do up here today. And it's Psalm 78, 1 through 8. And I want you to notice what it says with me. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. That's a story for the purpose of illustrating something. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob, what that means, what that means, sorry, Jacob is Israel, the nation of Israel, and the the picture is that God established a story, a testimony in Israel of his works and his wonders. Okay, where am I? I lost my place. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So we see the psalmist here telling us that it's really, really important that the older generation tell the younger generation about the works of God. And it's so that we might know God and His greatness, but also, and not, not forget what He's done, but also that we wouldn't be rebellious like those who have gone before us have been rebellious. That we might be different. We might learn the lessons that God has for us. Because God gives us models. He gives us patterns. He gives us examples of people who have walked with the Lord. And it's really important that we remember that because we live in a generation that mocks the aged. We live in a culture that loves youth culture. If you think about it, what is put before us in media and on social media and everywhere we look is that it's, you're only cool if you're young and hip and everybody else is lame. And especially old people, they're lame. That's what the culture tells us all the time. And so there's this lie continually being perpetrated. And here's the problem. 
If you don't honor the generations that have gone before you, you really bring terrible things upon yourself. One thing is you, you don't learn. You continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. You think you're the exception to the rule, and you're really progressive, and you're going to really you know, do something that nobody's ever done before, and all you actually do is repeat the same mistakes that have been repeated in past generations, and you do it over and over again. But if you listen to the generation that's gone before, and you ask the right questions, many times you come away going, you know, wise is the man who learns from his own mistakes, but wiser still is the man who learns from someone else's. Right? And that is the reality and the truth. So with that said, you know, um, we are called as a younger generation to honor the older. Romans 12.10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. When's the last time you outdid? <laughs> like you made it your goal to outdo someone in showing honor. Think about it. And then 1 Peter 2.17 says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Right? And, and so we want to do that today. Now, Keith and Donna have been pillars in this house. You know, Pete, Keith was one of the original people that prayed that this church would start, even before it started. And he was one of the first four leaders that my dad put into a position to uh, eventually become elders. It was Pastor Keith, a man named Joe Zamora, and also Larry Bryce, Pastor Larry Bryce, who is a beloved pastor that was on staff here with us and passed away from cancer. And then myself. And I was the least worthy to be on that team. I was 23 years old and didn't know which way was up or down. And Keith was on that first group. And now when Keith and Donna leave, I'll be the last one left of the original four. That's kind of scary. So Keith is 78 years old and has served God for many years. I'll let you, him tell you about that. His wife Donna is 74, and Donna was going to be here. We were going to fly her up. She flew to California. I mean, excuse me, flew to Texas because her 100-year-old mom was in the hospital with a health issue. So she flew down there, and then she slipped and fell and broke her hip, and she ended up in the hospital in the bed right next to her mom in the same room. So now they're commiserating with each other in the hospital, and Keith's up here, and we couldn't fly her home, so we didn't get to say goodbye to her. Um, but this couple has been such a blessing to us, and I'm going to show you a scripture text, and then I want us to do what the scripture text tells us. So Leviticus 19.32 says this, You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. I love that. As Keith Easterly comes, Pastor Keith comes, will you stand to your feet and welcome him and honor him with me? Amen. Come on, Pastor Keith. Well, Pastor Keith, this is the second time today we've been through this, so uh, I have some questions for you, and I want you to be completely honest with us. Is that on? Yeah, it's on. Okay, it's on. Good. Okay. Now, um, one thing I noticed in the first service, I need you to keep it up there, and keep when you turn your head, make sure it goes with you, because you were doing this a lot to talk to people. You are going, yeah, and then uh, God said, you know... That, um, you know, the Lord is really good, and, and, and so anyway, just make sure you follow your mouth. It's really, Amen. if you've never been trained with a microphone, you know that 
the microphone doesn't go with you automatically. You kind of got to have to follow it. So anyway, um, so Pastor Keith, I, I wanted to start today with a little bit of your testimony. Um, in, in a short story form, tell us how you came to Jesus. And if you would, include your, your battle with addiction that you went through. I think it's really important for people here to know your background and what you came out of. So tell us your testimony. I, uh, I'll start with when I was about 10 or 11 years old, I guess. Uh, I grew up, uh, my, I, didn't, I didn't know the Lord. I didn't know my parents were not married. Uh, my father was an alcoholic, and uh, he eventually drank himself to death. So I was a very insecure person. And uh, uh, I prayed a sinner's prayer when I was in Baptist church, probably eight or nine, ten years old, I'm not sure how old, but uh, I didn't really live it, uh, and I went back into doing my thing, and I ended up getting into alcohol. I joined the Army when I was 17, and was spent three years in the Army, and that whole time I was, you know, anytime I had free time, I was drinking, and it became a way of life to me, and, and then Don and I got married, and uh, I was... I was 20 and she was uh, 17, uh, and uh, I, uh, let's see how it would start here. When I, I was a uh, happy drunk on the outside, but inside I was one miserable guy, to be truthful, uh, and uh, I picked up the Bible. Uh, we lived in Brownsville, Texas, right on the border, so I could go across the river and drink all night, and I did that quite frequently. And one night I picked up the Bible and I started reading it. And uh, I read it. I was actually drunk the first time I did it. And I picked it up and I, over several months I read the whole Bible from, uh, from Genesis to Revelation. I read the whole thing. And somewhere in that time, I don't remember exactly where, I just had a revelation from the Lord. And all of a sudden I knew. I said, I'm reading, I've got the Bible in my hand, I'm reading it. And I said, wow, I knew that this is the truth. This is not a truth, this is the truth. And I thought, wow, do you know what you got your hands on? And so from that point on, I wanted to know everything was in the Bible. And I started living my life to find out what was in it. I was still, I was still drinking, I was still an alcoholic. Uh, I had a friend get up in church and gave a testimony. And he said, when he came to the Lord, and people kept telling him he had to quit drinking, and he says, I like to drink. So he said, uh, he prayed, and he said, Lord, if you don't want me to drink, you tell me. And if you don't tell me, I'm going to drink. <laughs> and I'm, in the, I'm in the congregation listening to this, and I'm not a happy camper, what he's saying here. He says, uh, he says so, I, uh, so I, when I prayed, that desire just left me. And I'm sitting here still fighting that desire. And, uh, but I got free, free from, the, from one scripture. And... Uh, I was reading the Bible, and it says, There is no temptation taking you but that which is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to withstand. And I see somebody shaking his head right now, and he knows what I'm talking about. And uh, I knew at that moment that I was free, although I wasn't physically free yet. Because I knew the Bible doesn't lie. That's one thing I knew for sure. And so I knew I was free. And, but another thing it did to me is put some responsibility onto me because of, I had to walk out what God had given me. 
so I drank a little bit after that. I don't remember how long, not very long. And the last time I got drunk, I remember sitting on the edge of the bed in the, uh, the next morning with a terrible headache and hung over real bad and feel like I'm going to throw up any minute. And, you know, people have been a drunk, you know what I'm talking about. And I said to the Lord, this is it, Lord. I am not putting up with this in my life anymore. And uh, about two or three weeks after that, I, I was tempted a few times. I said, no, I'm not going there anymore. This is over. And so it's been over now for 40-some years. I'm not sure how long. And I've never had a desire since then. It never enters my mind. I can watch people drink all day. It doesn't bother me. I just don't want it. Don't need it. I don't need it anymore because Jesus took the place of that stuff. Yeah. I know that you and Donna have experienced a number of great tragedies in your life. Um, and could you tell us, because I think it's important for all of us to recognize that when we face really, really difficult stuff, losses, uh, pain, suffering, that God is faithful. He can carry us through that. And can you tell us how you've kept your faith, faith through them? And one thing I wanted to ask you about, we didn't talk about it in the first service, but many of you might not know this, but... Keith, um, when he was a, a boy or a teenager, you were stabbed. Yes. Yeah, and he was yeah. stabbed. And I'd like you to tell us a little bit about that. And then tell us about some of the other things that you faced. But tell us about when you were stabbed. Okay. It was uh, actually, I was in high school at the time. And I, went, I lived about uh, five or six blocks from the uh, stadium, uh, football stadium in town. Actually, it's for the high school and everybody. And I went down there to see a junior high game. And while I was there... They got a, a little fight going on. There was uh, two friends. One of them had polio. There was a friend of mine. And uh, they were fighting several. It was kind of a race war. At that time, we had a lot of that going on. Hmm. And, uh, you know, Brownsville is, is uh, mostly Hispanic. So, And there was some of the people that fought over that kind of stuff, So, especially in school, right? And I walked up there, and I, this part it didn't have to do with it, but I thought it was pretty cool. This friend of mine had polio, and he had a brace on his leg and just as I walk up when the police were breaking the fight up he took that leg and swung it up <laughs> knocked some guy down with his polio leg <laughs> and that was he thought that was so, pretty cool yeah I thought that was cool yeah you know I'm 16 14 I don't know how old I was but anyway so I'm walking home after that and all of a sudden this about 10 guys come surround me and one of them guys says were well, you going to jump in for those guys and I said I don't know what you're talking about and I'm just on my way home, and all of a sudden he hit me right here in the, in the side with his fist, I thought. And then one of them said, uh, the police are coming, let's go, and they all took off running. And I reached down like this, and I, and my weapon, I, mean, I was just covered with blood in my hand. I was bleeding. Hmm. And so I walked on home and called the doctor, I mean called my mother, and she took me to the hospital, which was just a few blocks from our house. And I was bleeding internally, so they had to... Uh, uh, sew it up and fix me and then they had a trial later and this is the part that kind of got me sometimes they had a trial and they, the guy that stabbed me uh, the, he said that uh, him and his 10 buddies by the way at this time I was about 6 feet and weighed 135 pounds and he, me and his me by myself was jumping on his brothers and I was beating them all up so he stabbed me <laughs> you know and I think the judge believed it because they let the guy off. And it really kind of shook me up about my faith. But anyway, uh, 
where was I? Yeah, just uh, some of the other family tragedies that you guys oh, have yeah, walked right, through yeah. and how the Lord carried you through that stuff. Yeah. Uh, we've had uh, two sons passed away. My first son, who was Keith Jr., uh, when he was 12 years old, he was born with a uh, heart defect. He had a hole between the chambers of his heart. And when he was 12 years old, he had open heart surgery. And uh, after the surgery, the doctor told me, he said, if he, if he makes it for 48 hours, he should be all right. The operation was supposed to take about two hours, and it took about 10 hours. And, uh, and so at about 47 hours, my brother-in-law said, Keith, we've been sitting here all this time. Why don't you just, let's go just take a, go get a cup of coffee or something, take a break. And I kind of hesitated, but I thought, okay, I'll do it. So I went with him, and as soon as we came back to the hospital, and as I walked in the door, I saw the nurses running into his room, and boy, just a cold chill over me. I just knew, uh-oh, this is not good at all. And long story short, he, he passed away right then. Uh, when I was in the room with him, he passed away. And uh, it really shook me up and shook us up. But uh, then when I, uh, after we moved up here, my 22-year-old son, his name was Troy, he had a head-on collision between here and Othello. And uh, when it happened, I was on a school board at that time, and I was actually in a school board meeting. And the police came and called me out of the meeting. And he said, your son uh, was just in a head-on collision between here and Othello, and he's dead. And the first thing I thought when he said that was, wow, Lord, why didn't you warn me so that I could pray? And uh, I didn't get an answer for that. Uh, but... Uh, Don and I, uh, the way we were living through it, without Christ, in fact, I, I've recognized that many times now. I don't know what I'd have done if I had not had Christ with me. To have my son or my sons now die like that, it's, it's, I just couldn't, just couldn't even imagine how you could do that without Christ because it's such a horrible thing to me. But we, uh, we were together. We would just, uh, you know, grieve together. Uh, we would just get up sometime and walk up and grab each other and hug each other and cry together. You know, you didn't have to say anything. We were just hurting and we just love on each other like that. And uh, during that time, this was after the second son born, uh, I was praying and I asked the Lord, Lord, give us, uh, the scripture says that you're the comfort and you come as the comforter when something like this happens. And I need comfort and we need comfort. Will you please give us your comfort and the only one I, thing that I can say is he'd actually did. And uh, that uh, pain uh, was still there. The thing was there. But he comforted our hearts in, a, to me, a supernatural way. I can drive by down there now. I know exactly where he died. I know exactly where it was. I went down there right there if it happened. And uh, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't disturb me. You know, I, I know that God has him. And I know that God is faithful regardless of what happens to us, uh, he's always faithful to carry us through. And he did give us that comfort that, o that only God can give us. Uh, well, I was going to share something else, too. Then uh, uh, I forgot their name. You, uh, there was a couple that goes, they live in Othello. There was, he was a... Yeah, Teresa Stokes. He was a pastor in, in uh, Othello at the time. His wife drove by when it happened. And immediately started praying for Donna and I. She knew who he was, and she started praying for Donna and I. And I never have forgot that because I believe that had had 
a lot to do with us being able to walk through that thing. Uh, Can you just comment briefly, because uh, you brought it up in the first service, how just being a part of a church family helped you walk through that as well? Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, it's part of what I was just saying. Without, without Christ, you can't, going through those kind of tragic things is very, very hard, if not impossible to do. But having Christ, this is Christ. We have each other. We have each other. And, and even though you feel like when you're trying to comfort somebody like that, what can you say, really, you know? But just your presence to be there makes all the difference in the world. And Don and I were really blessed here and down in Brownsville the same way with our church family. It really, you know, just to be there and to comfort us and to, you know, cry with us is, is huge, you know. And we had a, in fact, he wasn't even part of our church. We, and I'm not sure for sure, I think I know, but I'm not sure where it came from. After the funeral, we got home and it was a great big huge ham in, on our living room table with all the trimmings set up there and nobody around. And to this day, I don't know for sure who gave that to us. But those are the kind of things that the body of Christ does. It helps each other to walk through tragedies in our life. It's, 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 it's a neat thing to me. Amen. What are two or three lessons, if you want to elaborate more, you can, that have helped you and Donna stay faithfully married for 56 years? Help us out here, man. Help us dudes out especially. Oh, Come on. Yeah. Us guys need some help, yeah, right, dudes? Come on. Need, yeah, you're right. Us guys need some help. Uh, I think the first thing is Don and I, when we got married, I was still not a believer. But when I said, till death do us part, I meant that. And I think she probably wanted to kill me quite a few times for the first 15 years of our marriage. <laughs> yeah, she did, right. But that's the real key to me. Uh, We've always recognized that, and we've all, we were committed to our marriage from day one. And like I say, we did some, you know, I was, for the first 15 years, uh, I was still drinking. And she had to raise the family. And I've always said to her, you know, if I'd have been you, I'd have kicked my rear end out a long time ago. And she put up with me for 15 years. So uh, I think I shared with the first... Uh, with the first service, one of the first things I had to say is, uh, is wisdom. I had wisdom when I got married. At the same time, I was stupid. Uh, living in drugs and alcohol, and well, not drugs and alcohol, and yet I had wisdom to marry a solid, faithful woman like my little Donna. Amen? She's faithful to the end. And uh, she put up with me all those years. And to me, that was a whole thing. You know, I can be dumb and have wisdom at the same time because I know it's in the Bible. Everybody knows who Solomon is, right? And she preserved our marriage during that time, really and truly. And uh, after that was over, I, uh, I was just a new believer when I got saved. And the first thing I do is I read the Bible says, uh, I'm supposed to be in the midst of my family and raising my family and take care of my kids, you know. So I started telling Donna what should happen here. <laughs> You know, and I thought, uh, I would, that's what I was talking about. I'd literally stupid to do what I was doing. I, I might have I well took the Bible and beat her over the head with it because I was a very rude young man. Uh, I wouldn't, uh, I felt like that I had to be involved in the children and I was supposed to be the head of the household, so I needed to lead. 
And uh, she wouldn't let me f lead, you know. And she's thinking, what is this? And this guy was a drunk one day, and the next day he's in here telling me how to take care of the kids? Are you kidding me? You know, I didn't know that. I just thought I'd do my, I just got to do this. You know, I got to do what I'm supposed to do. and didn't know how to do it. And the Lord just really spoke to my heart and set me free from myself, basically. And what he said, he, he told me how authority works, all authority. And what he said to me was, what he spoke to my heart was, calm down and let me be the head of your life. Uh, and what he said was, here's the way authority works. All authority comes from God. Whether you're an unbeliever or not, whether you're a boss where you work, whether it's in your family, where it's in your government, I don't care where it is, all authority is delegated from God. And nobody can take it away from you. They can honor it and respect it. They can disobey it and refuse it and rebel against it, but they can't take it away. So you don't have to worry about your manhood, quote, unquote. You don't have to worry about what you're worrying about now. Just relax and let your wife realize that you've, you, you're a new man and you're learning and you can make mistakes. And it just changed my whole attitude. And first thing I had to do was go to her and ask for forgiveness for the way I'd been acting. And then it, things got a little easier for sure. And it helped us walk together when the Lord did that for me. Uh, let's see, we're talking about number three, right? Yep. Uh, faithfulness to the word, basically. Don and I have both always been word people. She, 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 she listens to music more than I do, and I listen to the word all the time. But we both pray together and read the word together and believe in that the word is, is the foundation of our lives. And that's kept us going for 56 years now. And I think it'll keep us going the rest of our life. Amen. But as new believers, when we first start out, we need to really recognize that Christianity 101 goes on for all of life. Praying together, reading the word together, and listening to what the Lord has to say together as a couple is a real key to walking through the disagreements and the things that you have that you, that you go through life with. Amen. I was just thinking, I was reflecting on the fact that I wouldn't be surprised in the middle of all that. Imagine she had this alcoholic husband for 15 years. That's some staying power. 15 years of putting up with that. She probably prayed for a new husband a number of times. And she was wise enough to wait for that new husband to come in the same package. And that's what we need to remember. Sometimes God's doing a work behind the scenes we can't see keep praying. You know, I, I have often reflected on the fact that when we pray for our spouse, we're going over their head. And that's good. We're going to the real source of the one who can change him, right? Instead of trying to change him ourselves. So many times we manipulate or control or do things to get that other person to bow to our will. And that always backfires. It always fails. It never works. But when we go to God in prayer, many times God can work on the heart. Amen. I, met, so. I left something out the first service, and you, you just remind me of it. It's huge about what we're talking about here. When I'm a drunk and drinking and doing all this stuff, my wife, my mother, and my sister were praying for me together, and they got a pack going that they're going to pray for this idiot. <laughs> and you know what happened to me? I'm in the bar one day, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, 
And it, it just started happening. You know, they're praying like this, and it's no doubt in my mind it was the prayer that what was doing it. I'm sitting there with my buddies I've been drinking with all this time, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, this is what's going through my mind. I don't belong here. Why don't I belong here? I've been here all my life. And these kind of things start happening to me. And after, after I came to the Lord, I recognized what it was. It was the prayer. But I'm sitting, I went to the same bar that we usually hang around when we got off work before we went to Mexico, spend the night. But uh, I'm sitting there. I said, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to drink anymore, but I'm going to still hang around with my buddies. So I walk into the bar and sit down there, and there's about four of us, and, and we, everybody orders a beer, and I order a Coke. And I sit there about 15, 20 minutes, and I never said a word. I just sit there and listen to conversation. And I said, Lord, I don't belong here anymore. This is not me. <laughs> and I said, hey, guys, see you later. I got to go. And I left, got up and left and never went back. And, you know, that, that prayer that they were praying exactly happened in my life. It was very true. I didn't want to be there anymore. Even though I was still struggling with, uh, with the booze after, I didn't want to be there. I knew that's not where I belonged. Powerful stuff. Powerful. So in your own walk with Jesus, what are a few things, three or four things you practice regularly to keep your walk with the Lord fresh and on track? I mean, you've been doing this a long time. It could be really easy to kind of say, well, you know, I did that for years. I, I'm good. But what do you keep doing to keep your walk with Christ fresh? Crying to Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life, amen. And it gets back to what I said a while ago, Christianity 101 has to be the foundation, and the foundation is not something you leave behind. It, you, you live it day in and day out and day in and day out. That's life, and that's the first thing and the most for, uh, important thing to me that how we, or how I personally managed to keep walking with the Lord. After I knew that the Bible was true and it was the Word of God and it had all the answers and I knew the Holy Spirit was with me, where else would I want to go? And when I've had things that went through, go on in my life, and my wife is a huge part of walking with Jesus to me. I've got to have her to help me walk through it. Uh, I can think I'm hearing the Holy Spirit and I'm not hearing the Holy Spirit. And she can think she can, uh, he's, she's hearing the Holy Spirit and not be hearing the Holy Spirit. So we have to cooperate with each other to help each other when, when, when we think we're hearing and we don't hear. Because I can guarantee you I've had times when I knew it was the Holy Spirit and she was in disagree with me. And uh, I think I gave an example of the first service, and I'll share it here. When the, the church, when we first started, we were in a, in, a, in a different body, and I won't get into the details. We talked a little bit, but... So uh, the church had a church split, and some were going with Timothy, Doug's dad, and some were staying with the church there. And I felt like praying that, that we needed to go with Timothy. We needed to go with Timothy. This is, this is where we need to be. This is where God wants us. And Donna was not in agreement with that. And she was really struggling with it. You know, she didn't really know, you know, them. And it, it was just a short time and things had been going on. So she was not really... And I started praying, Lord, uh, we need to be in agreement here. We really need to be in, in agreement here, Lord. And help me, help us to come together where we both feel that we got the mind of the Lord here. And I hadn't got that prayer out of my mouth. And here comes a car flying up in the front of our house. And this woman jumps out, and she's the pastor's wife of the church. We'd been there, and she comes running in the house. And she starts just spitting out all kinds of 
trash about uh, Timothy and what he was doing and, and all this kind of stuff. And she just keeps talking. We sat there for probably 10 minutes and never said a word, just listened to her. After she got through, she just turned around and walked back and got in her car and left. And when she did, Donna turned around and looked at me and she said, you're right, let's go. <laughs> you know, and to me, that was, that was the Lord's doing. And, uh, and I think I said the first service, and I want to say it again here, there's many times uh, over the years that I know that she, the Holy Spirit was talking to her, but I didn't want to hear it. And when those times came up, when I finally got my senses back, I had to apologize and ask forgiveness from her and the Holy Spirit both. But if we walk together trying to serve Jesus, we will come to the right conclusion eventually. Pastor Keith, can you um, tell us what being a part of the church family here at Grace Harvest Church has meant to you and Donna? And also just add to that, what advice would you give to someone who struggled with becoming a part of this church or a church or church in general to stick it out? You know, um, what, what, what advice would you give there? Okay, this church has been huge in my life. I've only been to two churches, actually been two, in two churches. The one I was in Brownsville when I came up here and this church, uh, and uh, first I want to say the way I got into church in the first place is through the scriptures. When I first came to the Lord, my thing was, I like Jesus, I love Jesus, and I got my Bible, and I'm going to sit home and read the Bible, and I'm not going to church, a bunch of hypocrites in them places, and I'm not going there. And uh, so I read the scripture in Hebrews, and it says, uh, do not forsake the assembling together of yourself in love and much more as you see the day approaching and I couldn't put that scripture down it seems like every time I opened my Bible there it was this went on for a month or so anyway and finally I said Lord I know you're telling me to go to church and I know I don't want to go to church but you're boss you're God you're king and you're my savior so I'm going to church and I can honestly say to this day uh, he changed my heart. When the first few weeks when I was there and I felt everybody in the places looking at me and, you know, I was very, very uncomfortable, but that left pretty soon. And I love the body of Christ. When I go on a vacation somewhere, I like to go to the church and meet other people in different parts of the body, you know. And that's, that, it's all about family. This is a family. This is our family. We have a heavenly father. He's the chief, Right. He's the perfect father, and we need each other. And once I recognize that, I, I recognize I cannot be, and I don't believe any Christian on the face of the earth can be totally and completely what call, God has called him to be or call him to do without a, a being into, in a local body of believers because that's the way God designed it to be. That's his plan from the beginning. Uh, after the Old Testament, we got a new covenant, and that new covenant is all about the body of Christ. God's people working together, sharing together, being together, loving together, crying together, all together. We are all one. I don't mean we're all together at all these times, but, but we're a family. And God is the author of families. You know, in society today, they're trying to tear down the family. And uh, why? Because the devil understands the foundation of life and the foundation of growing up and to be the person that God's called us to be, man or woman makes no difference, starts in the family. 
it starts in the family at home, the, your own family, and then it's, it, it carried right into the church family. And those two become one, or they should become one, meshed together. And uh, once you understand what the church is, your just natural inclination is, I want to be there, and I want to be a part of it, and I want to do my part, and I want to receive and give, and give and receive. And that's what the church is all about. He said, uh, what's that scripture? He said, you have received, freely give. And that's when Jesus was sending out the disciples to go heal the sick, raise the dead, and do all these things. He said, you have, re uh, you have freely received, freely give. And what had they received? They hadn't received healing or the things they were going to give. They had received Christ's power and his anointing and the Holy Spirit's anointing to go share. And that's what the church is all about. We heard an uh, exhortation this morning uh, when uh, I lost your name already. What's your name? They gave the, the exhortation here. Tina, yeah, Tina. She stood up and gave an exhortation to encourage the body of Christ to walk with Christ and to come overcome things. And those are the kind of things that naturally flow in the body of Christ because the Holy Spirit is bringing his life and his word and his grace and his mercy and his love through people. He's always bringing it through people. Amen. You know, I shared in the first service, I'll make this real short and sweet, but um, it's funny to me, it, on the subject of the church, it's funny to me that we often expect in a family for there to be some drama and some hardship, right? Anybody have drama in their families? Those of you not raising your hand are liars. <laughs> praying for you. Uh, when we go to a new job, we expect drama. If we're part of a service club, the Rotary or whatever, stuff always comes up. But somehow when we go to a church, we expect that, you know, that's a group of people that all got their act together. Everybody just kind of chuckle with me right now, if you would. Because the reality is, is that the church is made up of people who are flawed and broken. In fact, I would say there's more drama often in the church because the church is made up of a spectrum of people, all the way from people that are trying to find what life is about and, and faith and meaning, all the way to people who've walked for a long time and, the, and everybody in between. And our backgrounds are varied. And, and I jokingly tell people all the time, if you don't, you know, if you go to a church you can be sure that there are hypocrites there. And the good thing is, is you'll be welcome because you're one too, right? And so everybody's got a little bit of a hypocrite in them, and, and that's why we need each other. It smokes it out and deals with it, right? So Pastor Keith, I want to ask you to do something for us and over us. Will you pray a prayer of blessing over us as a church? This will be kind of like you praying, you know, for our future and, and who we are. But will you bless us in prayer? Amen. Love to Will you stand anyway. together with us? We did this the first service, and I feel like we ought to do it the second service, too. Let's all hold hands together while we're praying here. And uh, I believe God, I believe with all my heart, God's blessing this church, and He will continue to bless it. Father, we come to you right now and say, first and foremost, thank you, Jesus, for giving us the body of Christ for letting us be a part of your church in this community, Holy God. And Father, I, I, I know the enemy, he likes to come to steal, kill, and destroy. He likes to bring separation and division. But you have come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And I pray the blessings of Abraham over this church, the blessings of faith in Jesus Christ. He was ready to sacrifice his own son 
because he was serving Jesus with all his heart. And Father, I pray that this house, this body will continue to grow and multiply. And Father, the reason I think it will multiply is because you're in the multiplication business. And we're here to serve you, to worship you, to honor you, to praise you. I pray for Doug and the rest of the elders and the pastors here and the leaders here. And the, Father, the congregation itself, that we all speak the same thing, that there's no division among, but perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, holy God. I pray that there's an openness here between the individual people in the body here and an openness between the leaders and the congregation, holy God. If you got to struggle with something the pastor's doing, you come talk to that pastor. you got to struggle with your neighbor, you talk to your neighbor. Those are the kind of things that will be going on here, Father, in the name of Jesus. The blessings, the blessings of life, and liberty in Christ Jesus, the, the blessing to be a minister to the community. I pray and I speak over this church, holy God. Life in Christ, health and wholeness, financial blessings, holy God. Father, people healing the sick, casting out demons, people getting saved in the services and saved in the community and saved in home groups, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Continue to bless and pour out your spirit in abundance, I pray, holy God. In abundance, the spirit of the living God is flowing out, Lord God, all over this city through the people in this body. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our King, and our God. Amen.